Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. You keep saying you've got something for me. Something you call love, but confess. You've been a messin' where you shouldn't have been a messin'. And now someone else is getting all your best. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. Yeah. Guten Tag, ich heiße Stella, and this is Bad Girl to Oracle to Batgirl, the Barbara Gordon podcast, episode 24, part 2, These Boots, for June MMXI. Episode 24 is brought to you by Star Spangled Boots, made famous by Barbara Boots Gordon in her campaign for Congresswoman. If you are looking to become an elected official for the state, or just a student council member, wear a pair of Star Spangled Boots to get the crowd excited. Sizes range from a woman's 6 to a woman's 11, and various colors are available. Batgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prizes you may encounter are September's Batgirl No. 1 and Birds of Prey No. 1, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. So this is kind of a landmark episode, so I'm really excited to have other people on. Uh, So three issues kind of go, they meld into one story. So how I do it, gentlemen, you you obviously know this. Uh, We'll just go through, give summaries for each of them, and then review the entire thing at the very end, if that's okay with you. No problem. good. Okay, so first up we have Detective Comics number 422. The Unmasking of Batgirl came out in April 1972. Writer Frank Robbins, artist Don Heck. Also included in this issue is, or I suppose are, Highway to Nowhere, The Bush Trackers, and The Unseen Clue. 
One day while working at the Gotham Library, Barbara is visited by Greg Wilson, a former con man who she turned in as Batgirl but sponsored in prison in her civilian guise. They also apparently had a relationship in high school. Explaining that he's gone straight, he gives her a ring that he made in prison as thanks. Isn't that nice? He asks her to get him a straight job and she offers to take him home for dinner to try and get work with her father. Noticing that he has an appreciation for Edgar Allan Poe, Barbara then takes Greg downstairs to see a rare and original manuscript of Poe's work, The Gold Bug, that is locked away in a protected vault with a special key card. After leaving Babs at the library, we see that Greg really hasn't gone straight, and with the secret camera, he had taken some pictures of the manuscripts. As Greg and the Gordons are having dinner, Greg is offered a job as a helper for Commissioner Gordon's campaign to get into Congress, a position that Gordon is reluctant to accept. Babs decides to show Greg around the campaign office, and as Greg Greg gets Babs' handbag for her, he uses his prison ring to grab her security key card and switches it out. He attaches the card to a meter, and his criminal pals pick it up. After Babs shows Greg around the campaign office after dinner, Greg rushes out to get everyone coffee, and Barbara soon finds a fake key card in her belongings. Realizing that she has been conned once again by Greg, she chases after him as Batgirl and quickly stops him and some other thugs from stealing the rare Poe work. Upset that the system didn't help rehabilitate Greg and chastising herself by saying she failed, Batgirl returns home still in costume and dun-dun-dun, reveals her true identity to her father, asking him to let her run for the position in Congress. This story is then continued in the next issue. Detective Comics issue 423, Candidate for Danger, released May 1972. Writer Frank Robbins, artist Don Heck, also included in this issue is The Most Dangerous 20 Miles in Gotham City, A Shadow of Doubt, and The Big Heist. The issue begins with Barbara Batgirl Gordon in her costume unmasked, proclaiming to her father that she intends to take his place in running for Congress. But she is surprised to learn that he has already deduced her secret identity, and she has his blessing. In the days that follow, Babs takes, the street, takes to the streets and campaigns hard, promising that if elected, she'll send the boot to Congress and work hard to create new jobs and clean up crime. As time passes, morale for Barbara's election swells, but Babs confides in Jason Bard that she still remains unsure of her chances. Soon afterwards, a man by the name of Tab Higgins ushers in a huge crowd of young voters, pledging to Babs that they'll help fund her campaign and make sure she's elected. On the closing night of the campaign, one of Babs' supporters reports that the campaign office had been brutally robbed. Babs investigates as Batgirl and finds footprints that leave a trail. At that moment, Higgins returns to the office, swearing his innocence. However, Batgirl deduces that Higgins robbed the office due to her aide's injury being on the right side of his face and that Higgins is a left-handed man. Higgins realizes that Batgirl is too cute to live and tries to flee after striking her, but both he and the men in his getaway car are taken down by Batgirl. Later that night, Batgirl conducts an interview vaguely endorsing Barbara Gordon's run for Congress. We end with Gordon and Barbara wondering if Batgirl will be an addition or hindrance for the election. And we find out if it's a helper hindrance in the next issue, which is Detective Comics issue 424, Batgirl's Last Case, with a story by Frank Robbins and art by Don Heck. It's night before the election, and everyone seems to have their concerns. Batgirl's sitting alone on a rooftop, pondering if Batgirl's endorsement of Babs, who is actually herself, will be enough to tip the scales. Jason, who's received a promotion from Boyfriend, the campaign manager, is at home with Commissioner Gordon as they wonder if Babs' status as the daughter of a police commissioner will have a positive or negative effect. 
Luckily, we don't have to ponder this very long, because the very next panel, we find out when some crooks stroking their guns question the effect of having a cop daughter in Washington, because, you know, there's all those gun laws going through. The next day, everyone comes out to vote with some prod enthusiastic youth brigade. Let's multiply her votes by thousands and put dabs over the top. We gotta get out all the registered voters, because if the voting is light, the opposition is a shoo-in, so get on those phones and rouse them. But the evil establishment has their own plans. The criminals from earlier are tapping the phones that these kids are making, the people saying, go vote for Barbara Gordon. That's right, folks. Phones are being tapped for political purposes. In the night... In the 1970s, shocking. Big brother. When they figure out that some of these people, like, the crooks, like, call these people up and they're like, I'm going to kill you and kill your dog if you want to Barbara Gordon. It's, it's really weird. And I got to imagine it's time consuming. So then the kids go out and kidnap some old people to get them the vote, since apparently all the adults are scared. Like, one of the voters, he's wheeling this old guy in a wheelchair, and he's like, no time for shut-ins, old-timer! Not, <laughs> not if we're the boot the machine out! And then mm-hmm. shows up, like, she's like, I'm your babysitter, no excuse for cop-outs now. Go out and vote. It isn't long before the TV announces that Boots Gordon, because yes, that's Barbara's you know, nickname during this campaign, has won. The criminals decide that, well, they can't be having that, so they need to take out Batgirl. But first, they got to get Jason out of the way, because he's kind of always by her side, and might cause a problem with that bum leg of his. So they call <laughs> the telephone and tell him that if he wants to save his girlfriend, Batgirl, he has to meet them at Gotham Park Zoo before she heads out to a death trap, realizing that everything about this phone call makes perfect sense and there's nothing fishy about it. For example, if you're going to kill Batgirl, why would you call someone to save her? Why would you... Well, what? He doesn't question anything about the motive. He leaves without even explaining himself to Babs because, you know, there's no time. Anyway, great great private investigator skills, Jason. The criminals are even amazed by how stupid Jason is because they say, Look! Bard fell for it! He isn't a complete dolt, though, because he notices something familiar about one of the TV men because it's actually the criminal's disguise. They got an exploding mic for Barbara. But he notices something familiar about the guy as he passes him. Babs decides that, yeah, Jason's kind of acting weird, so she tails him because she suspects that the only thing that would make Jason act that way is a threat against Batgirl's life or a threat against Barbara's life. But Barbara is Batgirl. Confused yet? You shouldn't be, because it's easy. He gets to the zoo where some men are willing to attack them, but a timely save by Batgirl, who takes out one man as Jason takes out one himself, Himself, stops them, and when the crook shouts that Batgirl isn't supposed to be there, Jason realizes that he was being lured away from Babs. He then deduces that the TV man he passed was familiar because he had the same voice as the guy who called him. For the second time in this story, Jason just runs away from Barbara slash Batgirl, saying that there's no time to explain. So Babs head decides, huh, whatever, that's confusing. I better go back and make my victory speech. Even though Jason has a car, Babs still winds up getting there before him, and she gets to the mic, which is set to explode. Jason runs in, takes out three men, mind you, and, like, tackles Babs away from the exploding mic. So, the criminals get arrested all in between the panels. Jason takes care of everything, and days later, the underworld opposition rounded up with Jason's help, Congresswoman Babs Gordon, the first time you're going to see that in print, and... The first of many times on this podcast departs for her new life in Washington, D.C., and we see Commissioner Gordon and Jason Bard waving goodbye to her flying away airplane. We're going to miss her, Commissioner Gordon. Gotham City is going to miss her. As Commissioner Gordon thinks, more than you know, Jason, we're also losing Batgirl. And as Gotham City, 
This isn't Gordon talking now. This is the ending narration. And as Gotham City loses an ace crime fighter in Batgirl, it gains one in Jason Bard. Don't miss his dramatic detective debut in the next issue of Detective Comics. The da, 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 da. Yay. Um, yeah, well, you, you ended with actually my end, I guess, of um, the review. So I guess I'll just start it uh, to throw a kink in there. Um, but I, I really, that was actually my favorite quote, just those th- that back and forth right there at the very end. I think from that, we really see how proud Gordon is of his daughter, which is nice. And then we also see how much respect I think the character of Batgirl has actually gained throughout the years. I mean, if I, I still kind of shudder with some of her appearances way back in 1969 and, the <laughs> you know, the Gans and things like that. It was also nice to have... Um, or see, I guess, a segue between Batgirl's departure and then this, quote, rise of Jason. And I kind of wondered, um, Josh, you may know this, did DC have big plans for him? I mean, what did he do after this? He took over um, the, the slot that Babs left behind. He was doing the Detective Comics backups. And this whole thing, it's kind of like a pilot for the Jason Bard backup. Because even though this is like a Barbara Gordon Batgirl story... Barbara doesn't really do much. It's Jason that pretty much drives the story. It's Jason that saves the day. It's Jason who, like, does the detective work and lures into the trap. Barbara just makes a speech and, like, ducks when a mic explodes. Well, Jason, you know, and that's not to say that Barbara's completely useless. I'm just saying that in terms of, like, the more Jason takes more of a spotlight in the story, and I think it's more of a setup to his upcoming, you know, solo spots. In the third issue, certainly. I think in the first two, it was pretty Babs-heavy. Um, well, one of the things I noticed uh, in my showcase, which you know doesn't happen very often, is that they actually included the cover. Um, you know, the cover to 422 is Batgirl and her actual unmasking. It's and this is one of the only times that Batgirl actually takes precedence on a Detective Comics cover. So you can really tell that that that's going to be um, a landmark issue for sure. I was actually confused by that. They trick you too because if you're looking at the cover, you think that she's unmasking the Bruce Wayne because he's kind That's of in true. a Bruce chair yeah. and in shadow. Yeah, I would always see that that issue in my uh, comic book shop in the back issues. Like this is no surprise to me, Barbara Gordon. I always knew you were Batgirl, <laughs> and uh, f- fool that I was. I thought I thought it was because you see Batman, so, so I thought it was Bruce Wayne. But no, it was Bruce Wayne's pal, Jim Gordon. I don't know if any of you knew what the Fusion Faction was because they mentioned it a couple times, but I kind of had to to look up what this was. So just as a brief little Batgirl to Oracle to Batgirl uh, history moment, you know, what is, <laughs> what is the Fusion Faction? As the nation's largest third party, the populace made an organizational decision in 1896, which was during uh, McKinley's term in office. He's actually one of my favorite presidents, which had major consequences for the party. Uh, they decided to fuse with the Democratic Party. Um, so this was where we get the fusion from, basically. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm reading your, it's part of your notes. Yeah. Thanks, populist fuse with Democrats. Interesting. One thing I thought was, I, I don't know, it kind of sent me into a frenzy for a few moments. Greg Wilson, they have these little back uh, flash panels behind him as he's like narrating, you know, oh, Babs got me pretty good or Batgirl got me pretty good. And so I started looking like, I don't remember this character. No, it, it was written as if we've seen him before, but this is actually his one and only appearance. And I kind of wondered why they they did oh. that. But yeah. <laughs> I was it thinking was that this really was great continuity. Yeah, no. 
I, I thought, oh, wow, I just don't remember him. I need to look again. But no, not at all. One yeah. thing that I, that I appreciate from these uh, early issues uh, as, as, a, as a co-host of the Made Spider-Man Classics is the fact that it's very dated. So I like, the, I like how he's trying to, in, in 422, how he's trying to butter up Barbara by saying, um, there's, he, says, he says, oh, yeah, I, I, when I spent some time in the stir, I mean uh, prison. He's trying to like, not use slang that isn't really all that offensive in the first place. I found that pretty interesting. <laughs> what were you going to say, Josh? Yeah, no, they like they treated this as if this is like a follow up to a story like oh, that yeah. she fought some guy that she was dating in high school. As if she, they act like she hasn't seen him since high school, but yet she fought him as Batgirl and she wasn't Batgirl in high school. So I don't know. It's the whole thing was weird. And like you, I also thought that this was in reference to an earlier story. But then I looked at the earlier stories and yeah, uh, no, this guy anywhere. So. <laughs> Maybe it'll be an untold story uh, written by Gail Simone. We'll we'll go back in time and see her dating this guy in history, and then it'll be called The Fall of Greg Wilson. Something. <laughs> Batgirl Volume 3, Issue 3. Um, I found it ironic that Boot Prince gave away uh, Tab in the second issue, uh, which is funny because in a previous issue, Boot Prince gave Batgirl away. But what was strange about this is that Batgirl is remarking that they are women boot prints, but it's actually a guy wearing them. And I, I thought that was very strange. Did you guys catch that? Yeah, I, that, that's another thing that confused me. <laughs> this, this book takes advantage of my intelligence because a lot of things kind of like either like throw me for a loop or don't add up. Like, yeah. like, like, the, whole, like the whole left-handed thing, it's totally – it reminded me of a, of a Denny O'Neill Batman story where like – it's, it literally does the same thing where it says, Batman has figured out the killer. Can you? Yeah. And it's sort of, you, you can if you're looking for what, the, what they want you to look for. But otherwise, it's very abstract. But I think it's still fair game and the d- detective angle. I, I know it's a backup story, but uh, <laughs> the mystery, you know, because it has to move fast. But the mystery, it, it literally is solved, like, in, like, one panel. Yeah. <laughs> The guy comes in, like, there's no, like, Barbara trying to deduce it and look for the clues. The guy comes in, and she's like, yep, it was you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I do, I agree with you uh, in your little synopsis there, Josh. Um, The fact that they need to take Jason out as her watchdog. And he certainly, it really is the rise of Jason in here, because previous to this, he's always been stumbling down, always been shown as really weak, and then Batgirl comes in to save the day. But this was actually, and I, I appreciated it. Obviously, they did it for some other purpose, but I'm glad that he actually was stronger um, than normal, and he was able to do more um, than just be like a, a guy with a bum leg. I had a note about, um, or just comment on 422. I really, really, really like how Bar- Barbara kind of sort of takes a responsibility, even though she doesn't need to, for Greg Wilson. She feels responsible that she and that she failed just as a, as she said as a police commissioner's daughter for like the fact that this guy wasn't rehabilitated and I like her reasoning for wanting to be a con- run for Congress and just I like I like the how she reacted to, to this experience because you know it, it's just it's just one crook he's not really anything to worry about but she she so tries to be a good person that, that she thinks that she failed and she so she goes right to her father just and completely throws her identity away and says what she wants to do. I, I thought that was really, really brave and like I don't think you would see that in any other character. Like that that much gusto. And I, I was really really pleasantly surprised I saw it here. Did you she her- mentioned that she spoke to the parole board about him too. 
like at the beginning of the issue. So that like that shows like the failure is even more the deeper for her because she did go up to bat for this guy. Yeah. So like the failure is all that more personal. So do you think then that the crying, which I thought kind of went on for too long, like multiple panels, she is, you know, <laughs> so she's struggling to say things. Yeah. Do you think that was okay then since it was personal or do you think it was a little too much? I When I was reading it, I was like, man, this is over the top. But I thought yeah. that it was justified at the end when she was reflecting on what happened, why she felt the way she felt. It, it her her reflection did sort of make up for it and kind of like maybe it was like, okay I can see now but at the time I was definitely oh come on yeah I didn't like the crying and I could see like it it, it appears on first read that it's just she's crying because this guy who she trusted you know was mean to her but it's like it it's a combination of that it's a combination of like she's feeling the futileness or is that even a word but futility. she's feeling the futility of like. That she's putting these guys away as Batgirl, and then trying to get them to roll as Barbara Gordon, and the cycle repeats itself. Like, the very justice system that she has so much faith in, and that she's fought so hard for, she's realizing that it doesn't work. And that is a very, very hard thing for a person to comprehend. If we would have had more or build-up to that, and the reaction would have been a little smaller, not, Sob! <laughs> Sob! <laughs> then, you know, it's... I, I'm, but it was appearance by Betty Brands. Um, yeah, I was just about to say, who knew we were going to be treated to this? Yeah, that wasn't planned. Um, it, it, if her, if she would have been done less crying or like a single Babs tear, and if we would have again, like, you know, everything that I just spelled out for you, you know, I understand that stories need to show, not tell, but when you're dealing with a backup story, you should do a... If you have to show, if you have to tell a little more, that's fine. This, you know, the audience had to come to that conclusion on their own, and it could easily read to another person that Barbara just is sad because she trusted the guy and he was a mean guy. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do like like on page eight of that of that story. <laughs> she just like slaps him all over the place. Oh, I thought that was pretty yeah. funny. And he's saying, "Why are you taking it out on me?" Yeah, you crazy. Well, one thing, we've kind of been joking about it uh, for the past hour or two. I don't know. Um, but this Boots business and that that's kind of her, not her <laughs> platform, but I guess her, her motto almost or her catchphrase, you know, kind of like the Obama. Can we yeah, it's, it's, her, it's her hope and change. <laughs> yeah, the Boots and they're, you know, kind of patriotic. And do you think that's good? I mean, I, I guess I never saw Boots being the image that I think of when I think of Batgirl, because that was the connection. Well, that was the connection that the narrator was making, that, you know, oh, you know, this is... Who knew that Babs, Batgirl, Gordon would use something that is very representative of her as Batgirl as her, you know, little thing for Congress. So that that was interesting, though I do like the Star Spangled. I mean, what do you think about these boots and we're going to boot them out and things like that? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Barbara <laughs> <laughs> boots Gordon, and like, there's the whole. <laughs> That's why we're laughing. I mean, I guess it maybe it would have worked at the time in real life, and who knows, maybe something like that would work now. It just seems silly in a modern context. But when these stories came out, it wasn't in a 2011 context. So well, that's that's another thing about like like, like sort of dates the issue because of uh like there's a lot of like 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 uh crowds and mobs and protests, especially in early Spider-Man. That every time I read any one of these, it comes off to me as forced and cheesy. So when when Barbara's really getting the crowd stirring up and stirring up their feelings about the political process, it comes off as like 
kind of funny because she says, we'll send the boot to Congress. That doesn't sound threatening to me, but everyone is so moved by her passion just by saying the word boots and wearing boots with stars on them. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's, it's kind of fun. it's It's funny and it's a little dumb, but it's more just kind of humorous. Yeah. Well, do you have uh, – what, what were your, your grades on this uh, this story, I guess, as a whole? Oh, uh, I – go ahead, Josh. Oh, I was about to say B, but I realize, you know, we're, we're doing out of, out of bats. So I'll go ahead and say 7.5 out of 10 bats. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was actually vacillating a little more towards an 8 because the end of 422 really – I, I really was surprised how much I thought that was a really cool uh, way to end it just, just by her having sort of like – an emotional breakdown and then saying, all right, hey, dad, I'm back, girl. Let me run for Congress. Yeah. Yeah, and I would give it – it's kind of funny. I would give it a 9 out of 10. Uh, You know, I thought it was a great story and it's certainly a great uh, step in the positive direction for the character. And I think there are only, you know, some minor things like the crying episode um, that prevent a 10. There is a lot that's left between the panels. And again, this is from – 70s storytelling as opposed to storytelling now where they would have fleshed this out but like within one page in part two you know barbara's like hey dad i'm back girl he's like yeah i know can i be in congress for you yeah okay cool there's like so we don't we don't deal with the implications of the fact that now he know that now she knows that he knows like there's there's no like with Peter and Aunt May, there's, you know, which again, they wouldn't have really done that as much in the 70s. And they say Batgirl's last case in part three, because the implication is she's not going to be Batgirl anymore if she's in Congress. But it's, except for that line at the end of part one, where like she feels that being Batgirl's redundant because of the justice system and the fact that it says Batgirl's last case, it's, we don't really, they don't really like say to you that like she's stopping to be Batgirl. That's just something that you're supposed to assume. And, you know, and then there's her relationship with Jason. Well, she's going away to Washington, and, you know, I'm not going to say who, but in future episodes, you'll see she's going to be dating some other people in the DCU, you know, once she gets there. So her relationship with Jason is, I guess, effectively over. But, like, the repercussions of that are not deal with. Like, she's leaving behind her boyfriend, and there's not, like, there's nothing said about, like, she's quitting being Batgirl. She has a new relationship with her dad, and she's, you know, leaving her boyfriend. And none of that is really even explored and you can't really do that much exploring in a backup story from the 70s but you know i would have liked a few panels at least addressing those points instead of you know i'm your babysitter and i'm kidnapping you so you can vote yeah and i do agree with you especially about the um the reveal there that i think there should have been some sort of moment between the father and the daughter um this is especially true when you look at back row year one because i think that relationship is so well done uh that i feel like there there would have been some sort of conversation at least in that story yeah i, I agree there, there's 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 potential for more but uh as, as it stands it's, it's pretty good well, uh, when we come back, we will review Batgirl 21 and Birds of Prey number 12. During the break, please enjoy another candidate for Stephanie Brown's theme song, On My Own by Kylie. And now, Zias's Radio Hour.
Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to reach tall buildings in a single bound. This amazing stranger from the planet Krypton. The man of steel. Superman. The thrilling adventures of Superman. A journey through the golden age of the Man of Steel in comics, radio, and film. Available at GreatCrypton.com Well, we are back, and we're going to start with a uh, fan favorite, um, Weep. Uh, Batgirl number 22, <laughs> The Lesson, Unchained Melody. Writer Brian Q. Miller, penciler Dustin Nguyen, inker Derek Friedolfs, and colorist Guy Major. Uh, the quote I pulled out from this, I don't know if you guys pulled out quotes, if you can still be weirdly inappropriate, you're not as dead as you could be, which I thought was kind of funny. There are actually some good quotes in here. So the issue starts right into the action with Batgirl under a pile of rubble and thinking about how she got here. The newest Reaper, Melody, uses sonic waves a la Shriek from Batman Beyond. Batgirl buys some time by destroying some columns and goes to meet the Grey Ghost, a.k.a. Clancy Johnson. In another part of town, Wendy has a conversation with her dead brother, uh, that's a little sketchy, Marvin, admits that he is a hallucination, which is good, and considers that not only her body but her spirit is broken. As Steph helps the Grey Ghost up, she finds out how he knew a Reaper was going to be there. Clancy has every intention of going to help Steph, but bring Melody in, citing that he wants Steph to be safe, but Batgirl explains that she cannot be safe with him around. She therefore tells him to get lost. We then shift to Wendy meeting with Dr. Leslie Tompkins, your friendly neighborhood bat physician. Tompkins explains that Wendy is not as far gone physically as Babs was, but that her ego is getting in the way of her healing. She needs peace in order to heal properly. Back to Batgirl finding Melody, exhuming the remains of a nun who apparently had the ability to remove maladies and drawing DNA from the said remains. The initial attempts of Steph are pushed back by... The initial attempts, I don't even know what that means. The initial attempts of Steph uh, stopping Melody are pushed back by the sonic waves until Steph brings a huge bell crashing down. Melody's sonic capabilities are fried, and they then get involved in a silent bout. Wendy and Babs have breakfast, and Wendy explains that she needs to go to Nanda Parbat in order to heal. And as the issue runs towards a conclusion, Steph fills Babs in on the details of Melody's ID and the corpse, runs an idea about Wendy and campus communications, only to find out that Wendy has left. Steph is okay with and even more determined to succeed on her own, and Grey Ghost hands over the DNA and makes a deal with the Reapers that he will keep Batgirl away from them if they promise not to hurt her. Okay, well, one of the things which I thought was good and bad uh, was that we just drop right into the action. Um, so, you know, we were talking before about, like, little to no explanation or exposition. So that's kind of the bad thing. But it, it did speed it up so that we could spend time on more important things. I like that. I really like that, um, that first splash page with the, with the, with the title and the, and the credits and everything. Yeah. Um, I, I did, we did actually talk about on the Batman Universe comic cast that we thought it was a little curious how sweary the book has been. Not not that it, that it swears, it has uses very strong language, but uh, it's just that Batgirl is a really appealing character towards 
younger yeah. readers. But but then again, the book is rated teen. So, I mean, it's not like we really care one way or another, but just it depends on who is targeted. But we thought that was interesting that it was like right up front there for all the all the preschoolers to see. But it, it was, we didn't care too much. Just, um, I find it very, very ironic at the end that Barbara's talking about how, Barbara, how, wow, yeah, not yet, but soon, but soon. <laughs> how Stephanie's talking about uh, how she's all alone and it's, you know, Team Batgirl, it, it's just her now. But then, the, like, the end thing says next, Batgirl Incorporated, so, yeah. not alone? <laughs> A Batgirl in every city? Yeah, I, it's interesting because... You know, this year, I think, has really been all about Team Batgirl. I mean, she gets this new location. She gets a new car. She has this um, easy-bake batarang maker. <laughs> and then and then everyone sort of deserts, you know, Oracle deserts her uh, in a way, and then Wendy decides to become whole again. And, and now it's just, it really is literally Team Batgirl. It's just her. So it's kind of strange. Uh. Well, I, I thought it was, um, like you mentioned, Stella, this character, Melody, her powers are, are exactly like Shriek from Batman Beyond to the point yeah. I was surprised that no one mentioned it in the comic. It was literally the same. I mean, um, I mean, if you, if you, some, some people on our show who, who have not seen that cartoon didn't realize it, but really, like, there's even that scene where, like, all the, all the dialogue and the sound effects are gone. Oh, right, but, yeah. Which is actually that, one of my favorite scenes. I thought that was, that was great. I, I, I like Stephanie's line. What, what, I'm looking to the, turn to the page. What is it's like, am, am I, I right? right? Yeah, yeah, it ends right at the end. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes you wonder what she was saying. I, I like how she was saying that she was getting punched and then she punched back. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like where they're going with the gray ghost. You know, the ethical question this. It's making me curious about how this character is going to end up. Yeah. Um, I wonder about... Um, Wendy going, you know, going on the spiritual journey. I feel like the timing is weird for this. Like, if she would have done this, it would have been earlier. Because it feels like we've already done, like, Wendy's rise from the darkness and, like, coming to terms and peace with herself. Which, I guess if you get crippled and your brother gets eaten by a dog in front of you, like, you're never going to be totally adjusted to it. But it's just, it, the timing for this is really, really weird. After we spent all this time getting Wendy to, like, the point where she's okay. Yeah. Which How about Wendy's? Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. I, I just I thought Wendy's uh, Marvin hallucinations were pretty cool, but it got really weird when he started saying that Barbara was hot. Yeah, which is I did want to talk about. I mean, and I like the line she said. I don't even want to know what that little gem means right now. But is are we being led to believe that she's a lesbian or at least bisexual from that comment? It's, or was that just like a she she's an attractive person? But well, she she could. I mean, she could legitimately be thinking that she sees. If, if this this is my armchair psychology at work, if she could legitimately okay. <laughs> legitimately think like because she needs her brother or she wants her brother to be there, she could be imagining what he would say. But if she imagines what he says, you know, it's to the point where like, she's separating her thoughts from this Marvin's consciousness, then it is very questionable. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't read too much into Wendy's sexuality based on that line. Yeah, it is it is something to give you pause. Like yeah, but. Thought hadn't really crossed my mind, truth be told. Okay, I actually had to read that twice to really figure out what she was even saying um, to understand how it related. Um, something about Wendy, and obviously going off of what you had said, Josh. I do wonder: is she going to be back in time for the? Don't call it a reboot. <laughs> That's what we're calling it. 
I just, you know, if she's going off, is I, I don't know, is she going to be back in time for the curtain? The um, but it's kind of something to think. We're all these because she, Stephanie is the main character in this title right now. Right. Bab, Babs uh, is is like a, sort of like a she was a supporting character until she went off more with the birds, and then that that even there, and she's sort of like in and out. And Proxy was her replacement. Like, we're, like, did these characters die at the end of this title? I mean, like, what you have no, there's no, there's really no idea what's going to happen yeah. now, more than and, ever. Yeah, and there are only three issues left. So I don't. Are we? I'm just concerned that the entire Reaper story is not going to be wrapped up. Will we even know about Detective Nick? Because that has been teased at us that he's had some sort of involvement with them in the past. But are oh, we? Yeah. Are we going to get everything? Is it going to be tied up nicely? Um, I just wonder about that too. Especially considering I actually have um, this. This might get cut, but I actually have read the latest issue, and it's like um, it's, it's it doesn't continue the storylines. It's her and Squire having. Yeah, hikes. I didn't. It didn't seem like at least from yeah the solicit. So okay, uh, does that connect to the Batman Incorporated uh, that came out with Stephanie? Does it connect? That Batman Incorporated issue. Uh, has not come out yet, uh, but Batman okay. does. Appear, Batman Bruce Wayne actually does appear in um, in um, the next issue, and actually okay. has a funny scene in the end. Okay, um, and I guess the last thing I would say is about the Gray Ghost. Uh, like like Josh said, I'm interested to see what happens with this character, but it's interesting because obviously he's annoying. But hmm. you would think that he'd give, or you would think that Steph would give him a little bit of a chance because if you think about it, this is the exact same position she was in. Um, last year, you know, right. when people were telling her, you don't deserve to be there, please go away, go back to your, you know, your business. Well, it, it's and, what she was in for most of her career. Yeah, so it's just interesting that now she's doing this to somebody else. Yeah, she she is Tim, and he is, and Grey goes to Stephanie, like yeah. literally. Well, she even makes the comment to Barbara um, when Grey goes first shows up. She's like, is this why everyone hated the spoiler? Oh, yeah, I remember that. And then Bab says, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Unfortunately, Babs is not very nice to Stephanie. I find in this title, um, I like it, it's kind of, but yeah, I mean, she, she plays English teacher to her in like one yeah. panel, like whom, which I actually like that touch because Barbara's supposed to be like the assistant English teacher or something, which everyone forgets. Which, and I hope that like when she becomes back or like, and I hope that they like at least give her some sort of role as Barbara Gordon, you know, keep her at Gotham University as the teacher. Yeah, that would be great. To actually use, yeah, her intelligence. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, well... Again, for no reason. <laughs> just, just because it's classic. She'll be, like, behind the library desk. Yeah, that would be funny. With Stella, because she used to have that co-librarian named Stella. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would your grades be for, for this issue? I'd give it a B. Out of, tra- out of what does that translate into? Again, a 7? Oh my gosh! I'm sorry. No, no worries. I'm sorry for being anal retentive. Let's let's do eight out of ten bats. Eight out of ten. Okay. Motto or ditto or uh, eight out of ten bats. Okay, and I would give it. I always am high. I think on this one, uh, nine out of ten bats. And then we have Birds of Prey number twelve. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh. Hostile Takeover Part 1 of 2, A Thin Edge Directly to the Brain. Writer Gil Simone, Art Jesus Saez, Colors Name Rufino. The issue opens with a pair of twins, not tatas, but actual physical people twins, <laughs> being given... 
<laughs> Being given a Rorschach test by a sketchy man. No, the blot is not a bunch of pretty flowers. Things go from sketchy to what the heck sketchy when the man, a Mr. Tripe, asks the twins to take their clothes off to their undergarments and turn around. We all see strange markings on their backs, most likely made by a hot iron. And again, they are given the Rorschach test, and the results this time are more the girl with the dragon tattoo disturbing. You're hired. We switch over to Huntress meeting up with the question at a sewer grate. Huntress is uneasy about going down into the sewers because of the coming rain, and Question tells her to stay behind because the people she's going to take down are all cops on the wrong side of the ethical line. Above ground, Zinda, backed by Hank, a driver, Dinah and Don, assistants, meet with Tripe. Zinda goes with Tripe, not Oracle, gives info while bench pressing. However, that's working out. Hank opens an elevator <laughs> door, and Dinah and Don hitch a ride on an elevator in the worst possible way. We see that all members involved are having particular issues. Zinda is overacting and getting a cool reception from Tripe. Canary and Dove holding on to the bottom of an elevator, and Hawk is uh, left with an unwanted conversation about teddy bears. Back in the sewers, Hunters basically asks Question to join the team because they do not have a detective. As they bust in on the dirty cops, Question tells Hunters to play nice and not use lethal force. Money gets lost in the sewer water. Question is shot and falls into the sewer water. Hunters gives a swirly to some guy. Question reappears, and then the swirly guy asks for him and his mates to be killed. Back above ground, Zinda's advances, which gross if you think about it are rebuffed the twins from the beginning realize that something is up and point guns at hank canary and dove finally make it above ground and then the real creepiness begins the girls find a room seemingly lit by black lights with pain written all over the wall and dolls with disfigured heads as the sewer story and the above ground story merge tripe adoringly speaks of a savior and his slash her handiwork hunters tells not oracle to get dinah and dove out of there as we are introduced to junior the daughter of mass murderer ragdoll okay someone just said crap and that was basically yeah um i don't even know where to begin you know, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll start because I'll, I'll okay. um, this has been like my least favorite bet book out of like 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 the uh, the fifty that we cover, and I've I've gone on like profanity induced rants on this on this past mainly because of that girl, uh, the death of Oracle. Yeah, I really, and it's I, I've said I've said there before, but I'll say it for the for for the purposes of this show that I've not read the original volume of Birds of Prey. I'd like to because I hear nothing but good things about it. But Gail Simone's writing on this title has really, really not endeared me to her as a writer because I find it very forced, very superficial. And a lot of times there's a lot of, like, weird sexual innuendos that uh, I don't think are kind of awkward, if if nothing else. Yeah. I will say, though, I think that this is a, a, a much better issue than this title has offered in the past. I actually think that this story um, uh, is sort of like what I would – think the birds of prey would consist of mostly the birds all doing different things for the same goal instead of just i don't know doing the stuff they've been doing in the past and i i kind of i kind of dug it I, I did think there were some weird things here or there one thing i thought was i was at the beginning where the twins had to like uh take their shirts off and like yeah. I, I, yeah, that was almost like was that explained because like i read no. the book and i 
feel like it was. No, I mean, it seems like it's connected with when the dirty cop is talking about his wife and a sister that's his tw- that's her twin, but we really do not get any information about them. Well, this is this is the one thing that I think that Gail Simone does that I I don't want to come off as presumptuous or uh, or pretentious and saying, but she writes a lot of um, sexually filled dialogue or situations in the story, which I think really come off as 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 forced. And it's not that you know you can't have that sort of thing in a comic book uh, geared towards teenagers and adults, but there's a way to do it. And I think that with the frequency she writes it and the sort of tone it always ends like like there's this. The scene where these two these two attractive twins are saying to a Rorschach test, we see a woman's skull after I stomped her brains out, and a woman's entrails so fresh, so steamy. From like, a spe- specifically, they both see a woman and these horrifying things, and it's because of this really creepy guy pointing to them. It feels like she's trying to say something about this guy, and I think I'm repeating what I said in my review on the other show, but it doesn't matter. I I don't know where she's going with this, but. It seems like she either writes people as like sexist inadvertently or sexist just to show that they're evil. And it comes off as really artificial to me. And that's the biggest thing I say is a weakness of her writing that I don't like seeing in this title. But I actually did enjoy it mostly than uh, compared to the other, the other ones. Here's a problem that I had with it. And it was uh, – this is another one of the many reasons why Death of Oracle doesn't work, which I can talk about for a whole podcast why Death of Oracle doesn't work. <laughs> So can I. Yeah. Uh, question, when she's with Huntress in the sewer, mentions, I'm sorry about Oracle. You know, implication of that is that, you know, questions one of the many people who are that Oracle's dead, and she's offering her condolences to Huntress. Cool. A few years ago, around the time when, when Question had her backup uh, in Detective, when Batwoman had the main feature, Question was made aware of the fact that Barbara was Oracle. She even I can't believe that Commissioner Gordon's daughter's a superhero. So... If she thinks that Barbara Gordon's dead, like, why is she not called up Commissioner Gordon and say, I'm sorry, your daughter's dead? And then Commissioner Gordon be like, my daughter, what? I just had coffee with her and uh, Detective Nick Gage last night. It's, it doesn't work. If Question knows that Barbara Gordon's Oracle, like a lot of the superheroes do, like, they can't think that she's dead. It's, I, I didn't like that. And it's just, it's one of the many, I mentioned that plot hole when Death of Oracle happened that, you know, if Barbara Gordon's still, like, running around at Gotham University and, like, having lunch with her father, then these people who know that she's Barbara can't think that Oracle's dead. It, it doesn't work that way. So, this story, it was... I talk about showing, not telling, but you know what? They, 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 they could have done more telling this time around because it was really, really hard to follow this thing. Yeah. You're, you're really thrown into it, and, like, it's like you're part of a story that's already in progress, and... You just have so many questions going in. And with the Birds team so big, you have, you know, Hawk doing Hawk and Dove doing their thing, you know, um, Zinda doing her thing, Black Canary doing her thing, Huntress is in the sewer with question. It's, well, if we're going to have a team this big, you know, let's focus, instead of focusing on every single character all at once and have one issue making it confusing, focus on, like, a few of the members at a time. Yeah. You know, maybe have some, like, just standing in the, you know, core tower with Barbara, you know, monitoring things. That was very 90s to have Barbara, like, lifting weights while she's talking to them, because in the old bird books... Yeah. Yeah, she's uh, always doing something, yeah. Yeah, she was always, like, swimming. Like, there's one where, like, she's in a jacuzzi, like, swimming, or, like, you know, lifting weights, and I mean, I don't know, I kind of like that touch, because I guess they don't just want to show her, like, you know... Sitting there, yeah. 
But of course, she's not really Oracle anymore. <laughs> Even though it says Oracle, aka Barbara Gordon. No, it's so strange. Yeah. Barbara Gordon's alive, but Barbara Gordon is Oracle. But what? Yeah, I do agree with you. You mentioned two big things. Just kind of you're thrown into it. You know, the merging at the of the storyline where everything comes together right at the end. I think that was very confusing. It was very jumbled. Um, and I, I guess she wanted to tie it up quickly. I have no idea what she was thinking. And the other thing about the, the big team, I certainly agree with you there. I mean, I think the best stories are when it was just either Black Canary and Oracle way back at, you know, the, the inception of Birds of Prey or, you know, even adding Huntress. And now it just seems so much. And, and I'm wondering why the birds are recruiting, especially since they know their book's about to end. Why are they looking for other team members to come? Um, I think it, it's probably better to keep it small, especially since no one is supposed to know about non-Oracle. And I also asked the question of you guys, uh, do you think Question would even fit this team? I thought Question is more of a solo kind of worker. This team basically does cons- consist of sort of like the, uh, the, the nighttime fighting female fighters of the DC Universe. So if they wanted to go with that idea, she could. But I think question does kind of work better on her own because it makes her more of a compelling character that she's new to everything if she's going around with black canary and lady blackhawk she has experienced professionals to watch her back and she her learning curve sort of becomes a lot shorter i think i'd like question on this team just because of like you know her connections to the world of gotham and you know her kind of association with barbara gordon it's not like her and barbara are bffs but like you know you know Renee did work for, you know, Commissioner Gordon at one point. So, you know, and, and they both, you know, certainly know what it's like, you know, to be be around the police department in Gotham. Did you at all think it was uh, anticlimactic that the, the name of this um, daughter uh, <laughs> of a mass murderer, Ragdoll, is Junior? Reminded me of Problem Child. I, I, I don't know if I can find an anticlimactic if you can't follow the story anyway. You don't know oh, if it's climactic, yeah. anticlimactic or, <laughs> or even if it was a climax. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I've been reading Gail Simone for years, and I don't know, ever since Volume 2 of Birds of Prey, it just, it's just, it's haven't been feeling it. Yeah. I just, I feel like, I don't know, Junior is like the worst name I would ever really <laughs> and that, that caption too is hilarious like they, they really want to like, like they call her junior and like I bloody know. red capital uh text and it's okay <laughs> yeah i was taking it seriously until that happened yeah <laughs> uh but i do have to say that, that you mistake. know oh what that was your first mistake oh that was taking it seriously yeah uh you know i did think that the artist did well because everything um, is really creepy and macabre looking in that room. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that that certainly fits the bill. Um, and it was great that we actually get Jesus. This is well, he was supposed to be like a regular, but I guess he'll just be a regular for three more issues, and then yeah, and then he'll be off. Um, I'm not sure if I have anything. Oh, the other thing, I guess that I kind of teased around this in our first part. Do you think that she deliberately or almost self-consciously or subconsciously wrote Birds of Prey into a hole like this because she knew it was going to end? Because I just don't know why it has taken such of a nosedive. I don't, I don't, I think Gail Simone is is, is enough of of a professional at her, at her job to... Not not completely let a book dive in quality 
just because in three months it's not going to matter. I mean, I really, as funny as that sounds, I think that's incredibly unprofessional, and I don't really like hearing that. And I don't, Gail Simone loves these characters so much. I honestly think that the story kind of got away from her, and she wasn't really realizing, this, this is me pretending like I know what she thinks, but like, she wasn't really realizing exactly how the stories were coming off, and it was sort of a disconnect. But I really don't think that she meant to have this book suck. Because it, it sucks in our opinion. It doesn't, it doesn't suck in everyone's opinion. Right. That's Yeah, very true. I mean, yeah, I've gotten – some people have written in and saying, oh, why are you so tough on the birds of prey? And, I mean, there are some good elements still. I just think this is not the Gail Simone that I'm used to. So that's why I'm just a little concerned. That's I don't easy. think that, that any writer worth their salt would, you know – deliberately sabotage a book it's you know i mean it's fans can think about that on the internet but it's yeah i i don't think any writer would do that well that's good to hear that there's still good in the world i mean because like if, if <laughs> <laughs> why are you laughing <laughs> that just you... sounded so like like i thought you were about to jump off of it wait that's good that's still good from the world i won't jump off the building anymore oh gosh well, yeah it calmed me down a little bit well, I, I think that um, hmm. if you were to, if if there were ever a comic book writer to do that, you know, they would risk getting hired again because you know, oh, what if they decide not to? Uh, what if they get bored with the book? Then they'll just write it sucky until they they leave and move on to the next project, and then they'll do the same thing over and over again. I think that the idea that a comic book writer would do that, let alone Gail Simone, who was like a fan before writing, I think that that's very presumptuous, and that they would be so cynical with their craft. But that's that. But do do you think that she's been doing that? No, no, I certainly hope not. I just wonder why the swift change, um, and everything, and then you know the death of Oracle really not making sense at all. Um, I do think that the DC reboot had something to do with death of Oracle's conclusion because it was so haphazard. I'm just not sure exactly in what way. Yeah. Well, what are your grades for this? For Tony, three out of five, out of ten bats. Three. Wow. A very generous three. <laughs> I mean, three because it wasn't insulting to my intelligence and that the art was okay. See, I, I like the art, actually. Um, I did find it very, very hard to, to, to follow, but this wasn't like, this wasn't as annoying as that last issue with Huntress, and this wasn't as insulting as Death of Oracle Part of Four. So I'll give it a six and a half out of ten. Yeah, and originally I had seven, but then I was just thinking about it. And I'm like, no, I, I don't know if it deserves that high. So I, I'm going to give it a six out of ten. Uh, birds. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, anyway. <laughs> well, it has been such a pleasure to have you two on. Hopefully, you know, the first of many times that we will be able to talk. Um, I, I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts? Thank you for having us. It, I, I had a tons of fun and um yeah. I, I hope that we, we didn't uh crowd the uh the watchtower here <laughs> not at all there's always space always space yeah this was um a pleasant visit to the watchtower and uh it was a lot of fun to talk about these books you know and uh can't wait to do it again you know maybe when maybe with some of those batman family those are gonna be those oh, are gonna yeah. be fun i'm looking forward to them yeah <clears throat> they're tough to find at at uh comic shows though um but I'm ready. I'm ready to go whenever we get that. It, it seems strange, though, that, you know, I just started this December 2009, Nine? I guess. Yeah, and, now you know, I thought, well, I'm never going to make it through that showcase. And now I'm just kind of willing <laughs> through. I'm almost done and ready to move on. So it isn't When you get up to the mid-90s, that's 
that's when it's going to be harder because like, Barbara goes from like you know sporadic appearances to yeah. Boom, boom, boom. I guess I just have to decide what what is kind of the best. Uh, yeah. I'll go through it all. I mean, you know, you only have one life. It's not, it's, it's not. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, oh, I'm definitely. Be- yeah, I'm looking forward to some of those events like Bruce Wayne murderer or. Um, oh yes. Oh shoot! What is the one that everyone always talks about? Hush. No. The one yeah. where Stephanie Brown gets beaten up. Oh, war games! No. Yeah, war games. That That's the one. worst story ever. Yeah, I guess war, we'll see. War games was so bad that they retconned it a year later. Oh, but the retcon was even worse. And now it's going to retcon. Murdered by Leslie Tompkins. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Once again, thanks for coming on, and uh, good luck with everything. Remember, you can see. Donovan the Booter, Morgan Grant, and Josh Boots Bertoni, or I guess not see them. Maybe years from now we'll be able to have visual podcasts, but hear them on the Batman Universe Amazing Spider-Man Classics, along with John Wilson, and Clone Saga Chronicles with Zach uh, Spidey Dude. And as this episode comes to a close unfortunately i am on my own again it was wonderful having donovan and josh on but here i have babs in the tube this is the segment where i examine an individual appearance of barbara gordon in the media whether it be tv or film and currently i am watching the 1966 batman tv series here we have episode 100 always a landmark season three episode six the unkindest tut of all came on on October 19th, 1967, starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin, Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon, Alan Napier as Alfred Pennyworth, and Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. Guest starring Victor Buono as King Tut, James Gammon as Osiris, and Larry Duran as Nubis. The quote I pulled out was, There is nothing I like better than hearing Lady of Spain eight times in secession. And that was voiced by Miss Barbara Gordon, whether or not she was, um, whether or not we are to take that at face value. Who knows? She did say it with a straight face, but of course, I always say my sarcastic comments with a straight face, too. Anyways... The Nabob of the Nile returns to Tutness after being hit on the head with a brick during a lovin'. Retired, he sets himself up in a tent on 6th and Albert Streets as a public crime predictor. After three crimes that Tut predicts and perpetrates are committed, Batman and Robin pay him a visit, without much success. Later, King Tut has his cronies rob the soccer stadium and deliberately let the caped crime buster apprehend them, delaying him long enough for Tut to plant a homing device in the Batmobile. Discovering that the Batcave is under Wayne Manor, Tut calls the house and demands to speak to Batman, not Bruce Wayne. Bruce denies Tut's accusing him of being Batman, so the doubtful monarch demands to back up his claim by appearing in public with the caped crusader simultaneously, or he will blow his cover. Later, Bruce programs the Batmobile to drive by itself and employs the use of a dummy Batman and the art of ventriloquism to confront the nefarious Nabob. Thinking he has failed in his plan, Tut practically falls to pieces. He apparently recovers and predicts a raid to free Gotham City's arch criminals, luring the GC police to the prison. 
Meanwhile, Tut snatches priceless Egyptian scrolls, which will eventually lead him to the statue of a god, rumored to give its possessor power to control the world. Becoming aware of the danger of the scrolls, Barbara Gordon switches to Batgirl and speeds by Batgirl cycle to the Gotham City Library. Too late! She tracks the obese monarch to his hideout, where she is knocked unconscious by Tut's new queen, Shirley, and captured. The dynamic duo follows Batgirl's trail at the library to Tut's hideout, where, with the resuscitated Batgirl, thrash Tut and his Tutlings. Later, Gotham City is shocked by the arrival of Louis the Lilac. Some things that I found interesting in this episode, definitely the very first scene with the awkward car ride with Barbara and Bruce. Who would go to an accordion recital? Uh, You know, apparently it is good fodder for a date. I'm also wondering who would rob a hockey puck factory, which is the, the first crime that Tut predicts. And you know, I've I've decided after seeing this, perhaps it was subliminal, to invest in a blinking red phone. I think that, you know, perhaps, um, I don't know, that may spice up my life. Um, I'm actually kind of shocked that the villain had the idea to track the Batmobile. It seems, well, it seems smart. Most of the time, I think we have enemies that are really uh, befuddled and, and always seem to make a lot of mistakes, but this seems pretty clever, and I was I was shocked by that. And then, you know, Babs is continuing to talk to her bird, Charlie, and I I am becoming increasingly concerned that she needs to get out uh, in the world more. And, you know, people who wrote to me about the the bat poles, Alfred Pennyworth just came down a bat pole and nothing happened. So I want you to explain that to me, because if indeed there are mechanical arms that dress them, why was he not dressed? He does, of course, say that I would never do that again, sir. And, you know, about this dummy. Uh, The dummy was kind of interesting, especially when you saw Batman actually holding it. I guess Bruce doesn't have enough money to buy a robot to impersonate him like Superman has, you know, his, his little army, I guess, of robots to help him on patrol if he's not available. But it's true. How lucky are we that Babs is an Egyptian bibliophile? And how awesome is it to hear the two words Egyptian bibliophile at least three times in a row? It's very wonderful. Okay, and and something that was, was a little strange is as that one liber- librarian was in this death hold of some sort, and, and, and Batman is telling Robin that she, she could die in a minute, he decides to narrate his, his moral decision. And why would you be talking about it instead of doing it? You know, are we going to talk about this or are we going to do this thing? That's what my brother always says. And at the very end, uh, I, I very much enjoyed two things. Number one, how Batgirl and Batman, when they enter uh, Tut's little tent, even though they're, they enter at different times, they actually say the exact same thing, which I thought was fun. And then there was almost a date between Batgirl and Batman to, quote, discuss crime fighting, end quote. Frankly, I wonder what that script would have looked like. I think it, that would be interesting to explore. But, you know, again, we end this episode with everyone wondering who everyone else is. So, unfortunately, there is no illumination like we just got in the Detective Comics. But, again, I give this episode 9 out of 10 bats. It continues to be a fun show, and uh, I'm, I'm always happy to see Batgirl ride on her bat cycle. Okay, next I have my literary recommendation, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. 
this story centers on Charles Marlowe, who narrates most of the book. He's an Englishman who takes a foreign assignment from a Belgian trading company as a ferryboat captain in America. Heart of Darkness, it, it explores the dark side of European colonization while exploring the three levels of darkness that the protagonist, which is Marlowe, encounters. You've got, uh, number one, the darkness of the Congo wilderness, number two, the darkness of the Europeans' cruel treatment of the natives, and three, the unfathomable darkness within every human being for committing heinous acts of evil. In the story, Marlowe is employed to transport ivory downriver. However, his more pressing assignment is to return Kurtz, another ivory trader, to civilization in a cover-up. And Kurtz uh, certainly has a reputation throughout the region. This is really an intertwined narrative uh, with, with a story within a story. And there are many great motifs and themes, but I think that the, perhaps the greatest is the, the friction between good and evil. And this only has, I guess you could call them chapters, they were more like parts, and so I'm very used to, you know, sitting down and perhaps reading um, a set number of chapters, however far I can go along, but I like to have this particular division, and this one was a little tougher to read just because I couldn't really end at a part, because I didn't really have that, you know, that time, and then I found that wherever I ended, while I tried to choose as wisely as possible I did have to read back a little bit so if you have the time and it is only um, maybe a hundred pages it's it's not terribly long I would recommend reading it all I think it would probably um, benefit you just because it would be seamless or at least doing the parts that would be great but I think if, if I were to read it again I, I would certainly go that path rather than ending at random points okay since this episode actually ends uh, the appearances of Babs in 1972. thought I would give you my best and worst of 1972. The best uh, was 424, I think. You know, Batgirl's last case. I thought that it was well done. And then the worst of 1972 was probably 420, the target for Manana. But overall, I mean, looking at my scores that I gave, uh, it was a very good year overall compared to previous years. Some things to look forward to in the coming months for Batgirl to Oracle. Um, an interview with Brian Q. Miller, Michael Bailey coming on the show, a commentary for Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, uh, the director's cut. So some things, pretty exciting stuff coming up, as well as some uh, San Diego Comic-Con coverage. Remember, you can send any questions or comments to batgirl2oracle at gmail.com. You should probably send, start sending those in if you have a question for Brian Q. Miller. Remember to keep those succinct. And continue to sign the petition to get Batgirl Year One back into production. We're at a good time right now. Remember, Batman Year One is about to come out. We've already made a great impact, 707 signatures. Again, that website is gopetition.com slash petitions slash batgirl-year-one.html. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Thanks also to TV.com for the episode summary for the unkindest tut of all. Thanks to Donovan and Josh for very kindly coming on my show and talking to me about the DC New, as well as reviewing the comics. And be sure to check out the thrilling adventures of Superman at greatcrypton.com. As of this 
latest episodes, Zias's Radio Hour. You have heard all of the candidates for Stephanie Brown's theme song, so I'll be sure to reveal which theme song is the winner in an upcoming episode, either July or August. But until then, enjoy your summer, stay safe, be active, and fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?